Welcome to the Course in Fire and Security chat. Um, I'm your host, Aaron Whitaker, and today I'm with Dan Melton and Dwight Meyer of the Corporate Fire Suppression Team. That is correct, yeah. Branch 85 Corporate Suppression Team, otherwise known as. Uh, yeah, Dwight and I are leading the installation side of Branch 85 for a new clean agent or CO2 system installation. Okay, and what territories is that? Is that pretty much everywhere we are at? Correct. Yeah, everywhere there's a physical branch, we're covering those territories as well. Uh, for myself, I'm covering the southern part of our company, so that includes Evansville, Cincinnati, Louisville, Lexington, Nashville, and Huntsville. Okay. And then I would uh, take care of the remainder of the state of Indiana and Ohio, portions that Dan does not cover. Okay. And do you guys, where are you guys uh, operating out of? Uh, Indy or... I have an Indian office that I've seen twice, but okay. uh, typically since I'm the southern portion, um, I got, my home base is Evansville, and I still have an office there, but I work remotely from each branch depending on where I need to be uh, and what customers I'm going out to, to visit. So I, I've made space in about every branch out there to work directly from there. You know, I operate the same way out of each individual branch depending on where I'm at that day. I do. If I had to call an office home, it would be the Indianapolis office. Okay. Um, walk us through kind of the, I guess, the whole purchasing process of a customer, you know, filling out a contact form and wanting interested in a suppression system for their server rooms or whatever. Uh, what's kind of the, the process or the steps that you guys take? Yeah. So once a customer sends a lead in, you know, through our website or whatever, However, they decide to contact us. We set up a survey to go out and meet with the customer and look at whatever the particular hazard is. Generally have about a 30 to 45 minute discussion with the customer on site, go over the different types of agent, what's available, uh, what would work, what wouldn't work for their given scenario because every customer is different, right? So, um, and, and a lot of times these are capital expenditure projects. So depending on how long they've known they've, want or needed a clean agent system, you know, on the, the short side of things from the time that we provide that survey and a proposal to install one, we could see a purchase order anywhere from three months to three years down the road. Sometimes uh, a lot of what Dan and I deal with tend to have a, a higher price tag depending on what we're protecting. And because it's a capital expenditure in most cases, it tends to have a longer turnaround time for the PO approval process. Okay. Um, how does a, I guess, how does a customer kind of discover that they need or might need a suppression system? Yeah, a lot of times it's either their internal corporation just knows that there's that hazard out there and they mandate it. Uh, it could be a insurance discovery and they're having an insurance walkthrough and the insurance company finds a need for additional protection for either a room or a piece of equipment or maybe the fire marshal walked in. Uh, it could also be that our uh, technicians are on site in a different inspection and they notice that something else needs to be covered. And at that point, they reach out to us directly or turn in a solid lead for it. And then we go out and evaluate uh, what the customer's wishes are and uh, what the hazard is, and then just provide a consultative analysis of what we can do to protect them. There's also scenarios where there's industry standards, right? So Dan had mentioned pieces of equipment. So... There are processes, whether it be any type of machining or industrial facilities, that 
the standard is to put an additional fire suppression system on there that's not your basic water sprinkler system. And that could be for various reasons due to A, water may not work, depending on what the type of or piece of equipment is. And then another scenario might be that water will destroy it. So you want to use something like a carbon dioxide system that's electrically non-conductive and not going to damage any of the equipment after it extinguishes the fire. Okay. What uh, what are the industry organizations that? Uh, well, they're not really organizations. They're really more like, uh, for example, a CNC machine is, mm-hmm. is a, a piece of machinery that cuts steel or, you know, different types of metal to make nuts and bolts. And there are thousands of other applications for it. But when a customer goes to purchase a CNC machine to put in their shop, whoever they buy that CNC machine from is going to generally recommend that they install a supplementary fire suppression system to protect that piece of machinery, right? So let's say, and and this could be all over the board, but you might have a $200,000 piece of machinery and it might cost in seven or $8,000 to protect that piece of machinery from fire. So that if it does have a fire within 10 seconds of the fire being detected, it's completely extinguished and saves your $200,000 piece of equipment. So it's, it's things like that. People that wherever you buy the equipment or machinery from, a lot of times will push that. What, uh, I guess, what is the industries that you guys typically serve? Um, I mean, it could be anything uh, from, you know, protecting a server room for a telecommunications company or a data center to a heavy industrial facility that does uh, a process type um, work where there's involving chemicals or metal. Uh, it could be a hospital that has uh, clean rooms that need to be protected. I, and it could be uh, a power plant. Um, another big one that's popping up now is uh, solar fields. It's uh, the green movement and uh, the number of solar fields that are going up, a lot of times they're storing that power into lithium ion battery storage centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those require a specific protection. So it's it's all across the board. There's not many customers out there that couldn't use us, um, but it's just not going to be in a restaurant or maybe a normal office building. Okay. Um, one I wanted to ask since you brought up solar fields, what about the uh, the wind turbines? The wind do those have suppression systems on them? They do. Okay, they do. Absolutely. I don't currently have any in my territory. White I think has some throughout Indiana. Yeah, and the actually specifically the fire suppression system that I just discussed for a CNC machine would be a fire trace system, and that is primarily what is installed in, a, in the majority of your wind turbines. Okay. What are the, uh, I guess, what are the most pop, is there a most popular sold or a type of CO2 or a clean agent or? So it really depends on the customer. Like Dan had mentioned, you know, maybe a telecommunications company. Well, every company for the most part today, not quite everyone, but most of them have a server room of some sort, mm-hmm. right? And, and those server rooms, we use a clean agent system. So that is, it really depends on the industry. So if you're talking business server rooms, it's always going to be FM 200 or Novec 1230 are your two most commonly used systems for that, that application. But then when you get into some heavier industrial environments like steel mills and power plants and things like that, carbon dioxide is primarily used when it comes to machinery protection. And is this, uh, um, localized, I guess, uh, the CO2 fire suppression systems. I mean, I know CO2 
uh, is dangerous, mm-hmm. obviously, for humans. Is it around? Are these systems installed around humans or around where workers are at? Or do they know about the, I mean, is, are they trained? Or? Correct. In industrial settings, absolutely. The workers are, are, are going to be near the equipment that is protected by CO2. So we've, we, we apply a lot of safety measures that are built into the system to help protect those workers. Signage is big, and then just general training on what to do if that system starts to operate. Uh, and we build in a safety factor, uh, a time delay to allow personnel to leave that vicinity okay. to get to safe safer area before the system discharges. So okay. code mandates that we require that we install a lot of not only time delay safety devices there, because with, with every fire suppression system, you have two aspects. You have an electronic detection and control system in the mechanical side, which is actually what is going to extinguish the fire. Well, with a CO2 system, you really don't want to have to worry about the potential of the electronic side of it failing, which is what a lot of times they're going to provide a horn strobe notification to your occupants in the area to leave. Okay, so what they require that we install is not only that electronic piece, but then on the mechanical side, we install pneumatic sirens. So, for example, anytime the CO2 is flowing, the siren will go off. It's it's all pressure driven by the CO2 being discharged, and it is very very loud. And if you are anywhere close to the vicinity, you will hear it. You don't want to and, be there. And, and it all again boils down to the the customer training of the personnel in the area that when you hear this, when you see this, you need to leave immediately. Now, I mean, I know with uh, server rooms, it's an enclosed space. And it, it's uh, what do you call a total flood or type of system where it, it basically floods the whole system or the whole room with CO two and these uh, CNC machines and stuff. I I would expect these are probably in big, you know, uh, plants and stuff where there's not a way to do. Do they totally flood the area or is it just uh, kind of uh, localized? I guess or. So that's a great question, and, and it's different for every scenario. The one thing to keep in mind about fire suppression systems, whether it be a clean agent or a CO2, they are all customized specifically based on what they're going to protect. Okay. okay, so a CNC machine is fully enclosed, so we would flood that CNC machine internally with a clean agent or a carbon dioxide, depending on multiple factors of what they're using inside that machine. Um, and it's the same thing for anything where we're protecting the carbon dioxide. If it is enclosed, we will discharge the CO2 within the machine if at all possible. If for some reason we cannot, they, we do have a couple of versions of what we call local application, where if you have a box sitting in the middle of, uh, let's call it a one square foot box in the middle of a 20 square foot room, we could localize the CO2 directly on that box for a period of time. Uh, and that is what we call local application. Right. And CO2 is the only one listed for local application. Okay. So your clean agents work on a total flood and holding a concentration over a period of time. Okay. Okay. So like uh, the small paint booths, you know, that they have, is that a CO2 or is that a... I've seen CO2 in paint booths, but more commonly it's a dry chemical system. Okay. A lot of that is pre-engineered uh, and doesn't really need Dwight or I to look at it. A lot of the local branches can take care of a, a pre-engineered dry chem system, uh, especially for a paint booth. If it gets into a larger application where maybe they're uh, painting huge trailers and now we're talking about a large square foot or, or a large cubic volume of area that the 
reusable systems can't cover, then it might go to an industrial dry chem system or even a sealed system for that. So a, a pre-engineered system, what Dan mentioned too for a lot of your paint booths, basically what it says is it has a manual and it says this system has been designed to protect from point A to point D. As long as you stay within those parameters, you can and do what's in this manual, you can go ahead and install this. And, and that means pre-engineered means it's been designed to fit this criteria, do it that way. Well, what Dan and I do are what you would call engineered systems. Again, there's, there's no... Uh, a manual that says fit this inside this box and you can make it work. It is customized based specifically on each individual individual hazard. And for example, you think a server room, well, they're all the same. Well, they're not. All, no server room is created equal. And, and Dan and I will go look at 10 server rooms and we'll provide pricing to customer and it'll be different for all 10 of those server rooms because every one of them is a little bit different and unique. And that's really the difference between a pre-engineered scenario and an engineered scenario, which is where we're at. Okay. Part of the process is uh, do you guys do enclosure integrity tests to determine if there's any leakage or anything like that in the enclosures or server rooms? Or Yeah, so we do a clean agent system, uh, say for a server room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll provide what we call room integrity tests. This tests to make sure that the room is... Uh, available or, or I'm sorry, able to hold the concentration of the clean agent for the given time needed to suppress the fire. It's also our way of verifying that that system works. We don't actually do a discharge test to measure the amount of agent going into the room. We just verify that that room can actually hold the design concentration for that 10 minute period. When we get into CO2 though, we look at actual measuring the CO2 in the hazard. So we have specific meters that we put in and around the hazard, whether it be a local app or a total flood, that verifies that whatever the design concentration of CO2 um, is, that it meets that criteria with these meters. Because we're going to do a discharge test for every new CO2 system we install. Okay. I was about to ask that. So everyone. Okay. Today's podcast is brought to you by Business Security Solutions from Corson Fire and Security. Since 1946, Corson Fire and Security have been protecting and securing businesses and facilities of all sizes. Whether you're looking for simple video surveillance and intrusion detection for your small retail shop or a complex enterprise security solution for a multi-facility business campus, you can trust the security experts at Corson Fire and Security. Contact Corson today to learn more about how we can protect and secure your facilities, your employees, and your customers. Our security experts will meet with you and tour your facilities to determine what security systems will best fit your unique needs. From access control to video surveillance to intrusion detection to emergency notification, we can build a customized security solution for your exact business needs. Contact us today at 888-CORSON or visit us online at corson.com. Corson Fire and Security, protecting life and property since 1946. What's the, I guess, the largest, uh, let's go with CO2, the largest CO2 system that you guys have seen or installed or? So they make low pressure and high pressure CO2. Your high pressure CO2 systems are going to protect your smaller hazards up to a given point. And then, and those are basically stored in multiple uh, high pressure bottles that are between 850 and 900 PSI. When you get into larger hazards, you'll have low pressure CO2 systems. And the reason they call it low pressure is that it's a bulk tank installed generally on the outside of a building 
with a compressor on it to keep that CO2 at zero degrees. Um, your low pressure CO2 systems are going to protect much larger hazards. They make those tanks anywhere from, I think it's two and three quarter tons to 38 tons. 60 tons. To 60 tons. Yeah. There you go. Oh, wow. So you think about 60 tons, that's 120,000 pounds of CO2. That would be a very, very large hazard. Yeah. I've got a customer currently that uh, we deal with a lot that has six 18-ton low-pressure tanks covering various rolling mills within the facility. And each each tank probably serves five to six hazards individually. Wow. So that's a lot of agent. And they have spare tanks as well that they can transfer CO2 if one of them discharges from that spare tank directly into one of the active tanks. That's the largest one I've personally seen. Yeah, the largest one there I've seen. bigger ones out there, I know. Yeah, there are. The, we we have a customer that we've worked with that they have a an eighteen ton and a thirty one ton tank, but I've not seen a discharge. So I, I would say the largest discharge that I've ever seen uh, it's a twelve ton tank that discharges. I think it's four and a half tons of CO two, so about nine thousand pounds. So these are like I mean, are we talking like uh, assembly lines or like plants or? It can be. Uh, in the application I just spoke about, it's an actual rolling mill where they make a rolled aluminum product for the automotive industry. Okay. So they timber and uh, gauge this aluminum as it rolls to the mill to meet the correct thickness and strength for the manufacturer. So it's a, it's a fairly long line that we've got this metal just constantly rolling through it mm-hmm. uh, and going through various tensioners and things like that and then eventually going into a rolled product uh, to go out to ship it. So it it just varies. Each industry is a little bit different. I mean, we get into power plants, we look at maybe some cold pulverizers and things like that. Uh, you get into we get into turbines. Turbines. Uh, if turbine if a turbine has a wind down time of more than two minutes, then we have to discharge CO two within the hazard for twenty minutes consecutively. Wow. So there's there's just a lot of variables and lots and lots of different applications. I mean, carbon dioxide, when it comes to extinguishing a fire, as long as it's not a specific specific type of metal or dust fire that, that carbon dioxide cannot be used on, uh, outside of that, when it comes to putting fire out, CO2 is the best thing available. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit restrictive on where you can and can't use it again, because like you said, if you're in the room and it discharges, it, it will kill you. So is CO2 and clean agents, like you said, FM200 and stuff, those, is that all the suppression types that? No. I mean, is there others? Uh, or? So we have an inner gas pr- uh, product uh, that uh, Ansel refers to as Energen. Okay. Uh, there's aerosol product called Statix. Uh, we have water mist, pr- uh, like, uh, what's the one? Well, we it's a water fog. It's water a fog. Victolic vortex is yeah, what vortex. that we're representative for. It's a, it's pretty neat. It's a combination. It's a, it's a, a unique blend mixture of nitrogen and water that you would think, you know, might leave. It's almost like a sprinkler system, but it actually disperses as a fog hmm. and just kind of, and just smothers the fire. It might leave a small residue of uh, almost a small moisture on some of yeah. the, the surfaces in the room, but for the most part, you can put fan on that and it'll dry up in 15 minutes. You can pretty much stand in front of a nozzle and you won't get wet. Yeah, you can put a piece of paper up to it. What type of uses is that for? Um, so Toyota uses them and a lot of automobile manufacturers use them for their industrial paint lines. So as they're painting their vehicles, 
They used to cover it with CO2, but they found that this new product, albeit three times as expensive as installing a CO2 system, uh, is a little safer. Um, it's nitrogen driven, so it, it has a correct pressure, but it's not as dangerous as having a CO2 system going in. And for some reason, uh, personnel not being able to get or, or vacate the area in time. Then the nice thing about the nitrogen mixture is that's what seventy percent of our atmosphere is already, right? So uh, another no carbon footprint. Another high demand for a, a water mist uh, system would be in very highly valuable museum settings. There's uh, multiple houses and museums on the east coast that are fully equipped uh, throughout with water mist systems to protect sensitive documents and and articles of. Uh, you know, Irreplaceable assets, and they the water mist doesn't leave any. I mean, res, no, there's no residue. In right. Yeah. Nope. So, no right. damage to the products. No. Okay. But like Dan said <clears throat> briefly, you kind of snuck in there. Three times as expensive as a lot of your others, so it's not not as widely used as the other systems, just because there's a lot more components, and it tends to be quite a bit more expensive than the others. But if you're Protecting valuable assets, museum assets. And that the checkbook is unlimited for yeah. some of the things that, that it, water mist systems are protecting on the East Coast. And you think the original 13. Yeah. There, yeah. And, and that's the point we try to drive to all our customers, not depending on what type of system they need, but whatever we're protecting, the cost of the equipment and the installation is far lower than what their potential loss to their, their assets could be. So, I mean, if, if you're talking about an industrial setting and we're protecting a room of servers that operates the entire facility, that goes down. They really can't put a price on downtime, lost material, lost labor. I mean, it's just, you know, that's that's the point that we really try to drive home to our customers. You know, depending on what that price may be, you know, just for example, I've had a customer that they're looking at a system that was about $100,000 and six figures is a big price tag. But the piece of equipment that it was protecting produced about $40,000 per minute. And so if that piece of equipment were down, you can do the math, you know, that, that $100,000 system will easily pay for itself right. in, a, in a very short period of time. So it, it, we have to, it's Dan and I's responsibility to work with the customer and try to figure out what that return on investment really is and whether or not it makes sense for them. And is a lot of it just, uh, is a lot of it upfront cost? I mean, the maintenance or the annual inspections isn't uh, as dramatic. Correct. Well, depending yeah. on the size of the system, I mean, you get into your larger, <clears throat> if you have a, a larger high pressure CO2 system or a large low pressure CO2 system, uh, the maintenance on that is a little bit more lengthy. So there is some annual cost to that, uh, but it is a very high upfront cost for a lot of these systems. What is some, I guess, untapped uh, industries or business types that uh, you see that, you know, a lot of this we're discussing, it's kind of uh, ingrained in the industries of like, oh, yeah, you always have a, you know, CO2 or a suppression system protecting these, you know, machines or whatever. But uh, what do you see kind of an area uh, that's kind of untapped or the people don't really... uh, no, you know, know much about it or didn't really have any thought about it. So one of the things that's really become, I would say, more and more popular are is the use of, and Dan mentioned it earlier, rechargeable lithium ion batteries. And, you know, most people wouldn't think to if you had a room full of batteries that you'd really have to worry about that because the old lead acid batteries didn't really have this problem. 
well, lithium ion fires are just nasty. And so if you think about it, uh, you know, we're here in Indianapolis. If you go downtown, you see all those scooters that are running around downtown now. Well, all those scooters are running on lithium ion batteries. And when they take those batteries off and they take them to a place and they put them all on a charger, if one of those batteries malfunctions and catches fire, it's a very nasty fire. And they're really, for the most part, don't have suppression systems for them. So that's an industry that Dan and I have been working with and trying to call on uh, to, to really give them a solution for those storage rooms where they're charging those batteries. And it's not just the scooters, it's anybody who's using lithium ion batteries because that is the future. Well, yeah, I mean, you have, I guess, a lot of the solar farms, the businesses are starting to use solar. So there's obviously batteries there. Right. And the, the other thing is the, the power walls or whatever for homes, people using either using solar to save power or, mm -hmm. or charging the batteries at night when it's a lot cheaper and using the power of that during the day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of those are installed in garages and I mean, it probably would it be, it'd probably be, a, would it be, a, I'm guessing it would be a good idea to probably have some it be safer. Be, I guess yeah, the residential market might be a little bit, uh, it's something that we've never really thought about. Correct. Or, yeah. it, it, because we're so commercial, yeah. commercial focused, you know, uh, but it seems like it's getting more and more popular. Uh, I mean, I guess it's just more of a wait and see of someone's battery burning down their house. And then, oh, yeah, maybe maybe we need to protect these better or something. And you're exactly right. Unfortunately, uh, you know, catastrophes and loss of life is what drives our business. Every Everything yeah. that we do is guided by and driven by different code requirements. Well, every one of those code requirements was generated because of something bad that happened, you know, some incident that happened and said, okay, you know what? We need to prevent that from happening again. So this is what we're going to put in place nationally to yeah. prevent that from happening. Yeah. And, so, and that's why it's just coming around for lithium ion batteries because they're now becoming more and more popular and prevalent. And uh, we just got in the industry an early detection system for those lithium ion batteries because when they start to fail, they actually emit an off gas. So um, there's a couple of companies out now that actually have an earlier detection system that can catch that in the incipient stages before it actually catches fire. So we can install those and incorporate them with a, with a design suppression system to actually take care of the issue before it ever comes an issue. And it's really just technology that came out probably this year. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <clears throat> because the, the problem is, again, they've, and if you go on YouTube, you can find some lithium ion fires they're nasty. Yeah. And, they're and they burn to put out once they get going. Very hot. And like Dan said, once they really get going, you just sit back and watch. Well, it's like the, the Teslas, you know, catching yeah. on fire. Usually they just, uh, the fire department just contains it, makes sure nobody's around it and right. lets it burn down. Because you, the only, you know, if you go and look, it'll say, it'll probably say use water sprinkler, but dramatic cooling is, is the way to do it. But there's nothing available that, Cools it dramatically enough to put it out. I mean, I've even, I don't think liquid nitrogen would do anything for it. Not once it gets going. Right. I mean, once it's really yeah. going. That's why our, our, the, the industry is really trying to go to avoid those ever catching on fire or catching them in the stages up to or leading to the actual fire. So it's about the best way we can handle those. Right? Yeah, which is. 
where suppression comes in. Right. right. Well, it's, it's, it catches it's the detection it. of it. Yeah, the detection of it. And yeah. What we have seen some success with is using, Dan had mentioned earlier, the aerosol by statics mm-hmm. has had some very good success in extinguishing lithium ion fires during the off-gassing period before they are fully engulfed and going. Okay. Um, is there any other emerging industries or areas that you, you know, or any new technology, I guess, in suppression? I mean, I know you just talked about the off-gassing detection. Uh, and as far as that, that the 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 uh, off-gassing detection is is really the newest technology. We actually met with one of our uh, detection and control reps today, um, and he had mentioned that there is a, a good possibility of some, as he say stated, revolutionary uh, detector technology coming out, but it's a uh, two to four years away, and there was really nothing he could say other than. It's going to be good. So revolutionary. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> so we'll find out hopefully before we do the next podcast. Well, the other thing I was wondering about was I mentioned Tesla's is there's no suppression system on a no. Tesla. I don't think. Yeah, there's not. Not, not to my mind. Personally, I don't own a yeah. Tesla. I do not either. But, but maybe that's a niche that we could get into at one point in time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's... say we, we have an off-road group that yeah, uh, we yeah. probably would love to get into that market. Because, I mean, everything that, that is battery-driven now is going to lithium-ion batteries. I mean, even golf carts right now aren't mm-hmm. using the good old lead-ass batteries anymore. All the new ones are lithium-ion, and they're, they're, they're still a danger. Charging in your garage, that could happen. So there's a lot of applications. I, I think people are finally starting to get... And there's nothing wrong with water. Uh, for your for your fire protection, the, the only problem with water is it's going to damage whatever your asset is. It's going to do a great job putting out the fire. So I think a lot of companies are getting away from uh, using water on equipment because they see the downfall. Even an accidental discharge could ruin equipment and have a huge amount of downtime. So a lot of a lot of companies are seeing the benefit of putting in an alternative agent that has you know zero cleanup and get, will do zero damage to your your equipment. You can be back up and running as quickly as it takes us to recharge the system. So I just there's no one particular industry for that. I think that's just all across the board. All right, cool. I don't have any more questions. You guys have anything you want to say? Thanks for inviting us. It's yep. yeah, enjoyable. If uh, you haven't figured it out by now, Dan and I both like to talk, and yep. we're obviously pretty passionate about the the clean agent and CO two suppression. So we're welcome. We're yep. happy to come anytime. So, yeah, I mean, if anybody out there is listening and is interested in anything that we've talked about, about suppression, CO2 or clean agent or anything, uh, you can reach out to Corson.com and, you know, Dan and Dwight, they'll probably uh, reach out to you, contact you and follow up with you. See what, you know, try to make, I guess, the best best system to fit your exact needs is the idea, right? Yep. And when you go to Corson.com and fill out the contact form, and you click uh, under the title of fire suppression. Uh, when you click submit, those emails are sent directly to Dan and I. They're not sent to anybody else in the company. So we'll take a look at it. Qualify, first of all, whether or not it's in Dan's territory or mine, and whichever one it is, we'll reach out to the customer and right. get, get the ball rolling. Sounds good. Well, thanks for uh, joining me on this. And, you know. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Thanks, Aaron. Bye.